Hello, everyone. I am Matthew Thomas with Super Cool Radio, and I have a really cool guest with me at this time. He is part of a very talented metal band out of Tempe, Arizona, St. Madness. Please welcome Prophet. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for hanging out with me, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing well. Good to hear. I want to start because I'm very curious, especially like from your perspective, if you had to recommend an album to someone that they had to listen to in their lifetime, what album would you recommend? Well, if they were heavy metal, I would say Metallica, Master of Puppets. That's a good album. Yeah. There are certain albums that, like when I was growing up, I've been in, in rock and roll and metal now in music for 42 years. And in that time, there have been certain bands that came out with seminal albums that I believe nothing can touch. And Master of Puppets is definitely one of those, along with probably close behind it would be Ride the Lightning. But then if you think of the first two Ozzy solo albums with Randy Rhodes, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, ACDC, Back in Black, there's just certain albums out there that are almost like perfect works of art. Again, you know, this is just my opinion, and I'm just one person, but those albums are untouchable in my book. List some legendary albums. You know, obviously, Ozzy with Randy Rhodes is just, as you said, it's what music is. It is a work of art. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And, and art is therapeutic for people. You know, um, whether you're sculpting or painting or writing a play or writing music, writing songs, it's therapeutic, you know. I can go into rehearsal, and, and after 27 years of being in St. Madness, we still rehearse three nights a week, feel like going to rehearsal. And the second I walk through that door and we start making music, something happens, and by the time I leave to go home at the end of the night, I'm at peace with the world. Yeah, music, I, I've told people, music is good for the soul. It's not only, you know, obviously it's, it's something fun to do, but it's also just good for yourself as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah. it, and it doesn't even matter, like, if you're writing, you know, a really happy song or if you're Alice Cooper or Ozzy Osbourne or, you know, some of these bands that write dark music, you know. Dark music is also art, you know. The, human beings have many emotions, and we put them down in music. And that's why it's so therapeutic. You know, like a guy like me, I'm a songwriter, right? I can get mad at the world and, you know, hate the world. And instead of going out there and being a dick to everybody, I can write a song about it and get it out. And every time I sing it, I can relive those feelings and get them out again. And it, it's really an amazing process. It's a release in and of itself to write a song about what you really want to do. Yeah, absolutely. You come up practicing. You practice three times a week, and with COVID going on, you know, there's no shows right now or very limited shows. How have you been staying busy with St. Madness? Well, see, that's the beauty of it. St. Madness, along with rehearsing three nights a week, we have a side project, which really just started out as, as my solo kind of project, because I like a lot of different kinds of music, and metal is always number one to me, but I also love stuff like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and the uh, the outlaw country, you know, or people like Johnny Cat. So on the side, we have a group called Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse, and we make records with that. And so this whole year, and actually the last couple of years, we've been working on putting out a brand new record called Last Days in Paradise. And the album, I'd say, is about 80 to 85% acoustic. And it has some electric in there, but it's it's predominantly acoustic music. And so we've been doing that along with rehearsing. And yeah, we only played two shows this whole year. Now, we, we have a show scheduled for uh, December 12th. It's a Christmas show, kind of like an outside deal. Whether or not that gets canceled, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, we've only played two concerts this whole year. Yeah, concerts have been very limited, uh, you know, for 2020. I know, like, last year for me, like, I went to, like, 12 or 13 concerts last year, and I said, you know what, I want to go to more in 2020, and yeah. obviously that did not happen. No, and, and I mean, nobody saw it coming, you know. That's just one of those things that stopped the world. So, you know, I'm definitely not going to write a song about the pandemic because 
I would imagine there's probably 10,000 bands or artists out there that already have. So I'm going to write about other stuff. And that's the other thing. Uh, we have two brand new songs written during the lockdown for St. Madness for the follow-up to Blood Escapade. So we've been writing some new music. We've been focusing on... We have 11 albums out, so we've been focusing on bringing back some old songs from older albums and along with the Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse stuff. And so we've actually been staying pretty busy. That's good to hear. I mean, this was like a rare year for like everybody that time pretty much stood still. I Obviously, we're going through the months, but pretty much a lot of the activity and movements kind of stood still since March. Yeah, it sure did. You know, it's, it's been a, a real learning curve probably for all of us, you know, and it's affected everyone's lives. I just, you know, I, I hope that they find a way to get rid of it or at least have a vaccine or something and let the world get back to doing what it does. Yeah, yeah, some, some way of, you know, controlling obviously the outbreaks and, you know, everything going on for that, you know, obviously we can continue, you know, to do what you do and what everyone else does. But yeah, this has definitely affected everyone in some way. Right. And most people not in a good way. My sister unfortunately passed away uh, back on March 9th and it was literally right when COVID hit. So we were only allowed 10 people at her funeral. And um, there's a song on the, on the new prophet and the Cowboys record. And it's called Kate. And I wrote it for my sister. They originally, I think, diagnosed her in like uh, November, December of 2018. And um, they told her at that point, you know, she had about six months. And then she told me. And it was like the next day or two, I got together with Sid, my guitarist. And we sat down and wrote that song and recorded uh, the vocals at his apartment. Just as a scratch track, my, my initial intention was I'm going to erase those vocals and then go in the, the main studio and, you know, redo them. However, when we went back and looked at the original vocals, all the emotion was there. I mean, I, I was literally had tears in my eyes when I was singing it. And so even though I could go back in the studio and probably sing it better, the thing is, all the emotion is there, and I explained that to my sister. And when we played the rough mix of the song for her, it made her cry because she said it was so beautiful. So anyway, she's she's passed on now, but before she passed away, she got to hear it, and she loved the song. Recording, especially you know, in the mindset, like, it, you capture that emotion of what was going on, and it's almost you know impossible to duplicate that, even if it does sound better. That's right. That's right. So the the initial feelings are all in the recording. And so even though the rest of the music and everything, of course, was done in the studio, but the, the vocal is the original vocal. I, you know, I read somewhere that uh, when Celine Dion did that song, Our Hearts Will Go On for the movie Titanic, that she didn't want to do the song. Like, she didn't like the song. And her husband encouraged her to go ahead and do it, and they did a rough mix of it, and the same thing happened. What you hear on on the song that became, you know, a huge hit was actually her scratch track vocal, because when they went back and looked at it, they're like, there's nothing wrong with it, let's keep it. So they did. Yeah, it's sometimes that, you know, what you think is, you know, a scratch track or a rough mix turns out to be like the final because just, the, you know, the emotions, it captures those emotions in that song. It's, it's almost taking like a picture of the emotions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've had many times where, you know, we do a show and I'd come off stage and I'd feel like, you know, I didn't do a, a very good job or, you know, I'm down on myself for some reason. And it seems like somebody will always come up to me and be like, oh, my God, that's the best show I've ever seen you do, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And they're like, no, man, it was great. And you just never know. Now, talk about Ozzy Osbourne, right, and the tribute album with Randy Rhodes, the live album. That was recorded uh, at a concert earlier in the year, and I think they recorded two concerts. And Ozzy hated it. He thought it sounded like total crap. And he was probably being down on himself. Well, after Randy died and they went back and they re-listened to those recordings, that ended up being released as the tribute album. And and I have the tribute album. I think it's amazing. And yeah, you know, no, Ozzy doesn't hit every single note. And yeah, his voice cracks here and there. 
but that's kind of the beauty of it, you know, because live music is human music, you know, there's going to be mistakes. And that's the beauty of live performance and live music is that it's not absolutely perfect like what you can do in a studio. Yeah, I mean, we're all humans, and some days we, we might be, you know, we did like our best performance, and some we might be hard on ourselves because we didn't, you know, hit every note or sing the way that we were supposed to. But it's that human element, as you said, that I think makes music very unique. And seeing a live show, you're actually seeing them perform music live in right. front of you. And and now as a band member, right? When we make an album, I have you know certain songs that are like my favorites, and they're, and they're the ones that I I think okay, the fans are probably going to really embrace these. And there's always a song or two on every record that that I didn't even think was you know one of the top songs that ends up becoming fan favorites. So you know you just never really know. And all we do is we're a band. Primarily, our our whole goal is to be entertainers and having nothing to do with rock stardom. I'm not interested in that term at all because uh, my belief is entertainers serve the fans and fans serve rock stars. And I would never want to be a rock star ever because, you know, first of all, you know, I've been doing this a long, long time and I'm not a big star. And in fact, I've never been signed to a label. We created our own label and didn't really worry about all that and just, you know, do it our own way and our own, we do our own thing. But my goal is whoever is in front of us when we're on stage is to make sure that those people have a good time and that the hope is that when they walk away from that show that they feel like they got more than their money's worth because it's all about the fans. Without the fans, there are no bands. There is no entertainment and performance. The fans are, number one, they're what matters. And so my goal is just to, to get up there and do my best to see that they have a good time. You're 100% correct. You know, As you said, without fans, there there's no live music, there's no bands. And the, the purpose of a concert, at least you know, through my eyes, what I see is to have a good time and be around people who enjoy the same style of music that you like. like. I've made so many friends just going to bands and talking to them about music. Oh, absolutely. And I love just sitting down with people and talking about music. It's one of my favorite subjects, you know. It never gets old. And I started in high school back in 1978 as basically an Elvis Presley imitator. And that's how I got into singing. I was an Elvis fan. His death touched me in a really weird way because I was a fan before his death, but I was young enough that I didn't know that much about him. I just liked, you know, some of the songs I heard. And then when he died, it seemed like the whole world stopped for a minute. And it made me realize when I was watching the news or picking up magazines or newspapers, it made me realize how important this man was, not only to the world of music, but probably to the world. And so I started reading everything I could find on him, every book I could get, every magazine, every newspaper. I had posters on my wall. And I was a a sports guy up until then. I played soccer for nine years. I was on the tennis team, I ran track, I played football and baseball. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I I originally learned how to play when we lived in Holland when I was a young boy. And so my focus was soccer. But once he died, I bought every record I could buy his, and I would go home after school and sing to his records in my bedroom. And one day when I was in choir, the guy next to me told the choir director, who really didn't care for me much, he always called me Homer. He he would never call me Patrick, you know. He'd always, whenever he talked to me, he'd call me Homer. So the guy next to me went down to the choir director, whose name was Donald Bowers, and he said, you know, you need to listen to Pat sing because he sounds like Elvis. So in the middle of class one day, he said, Homer, come down here. And I went down there, and we probably had 60 members, 65, whatever it was, in that choir. I had never sang in front of anybody solo other than in my bedroom when I was singing the records. And he said, you know the song Blue Christmas? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm going to play it start singing. So he plays it, and I sing a little bit. And after a measure or two, he stops, and he says, see me after class. And when I went to see him after class, he said, you know, you sound a lot like Elvis Presley. Would you consider... We have a Christmas concert coming up. Would you do Blue Christmas and do a a duet with one of the girls from the choir? 
And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose, so why not? So I did it. And when we did that show, there was about 200 people in the auditorium. And at the end of the night, I signed my first autographs. And he came back to me later and said, we have a spring concert coming up. Would you cut your hair a little bit and, and you know, style it like Elvis and dress like young Elvis? and do a couple songs, and then we'll have girls run out of the crowd and jump up on stage and put on this whole thing. And I thought, you know, why not? Well, I did that, and that was on a Friday night. When I went back to school on that following Monday, it was like my life had changed because everybody knew about it, and people, when they would see me, they'd say, hey, Elvis, what's up? And, you know, before that, I was kind of fairly quiet. I was a little bit of a class clown. I had a few friends, you know. And I like my sport. And when I went back after singing, all of a sudden the jocks and all all the different people who wouldn't have given me the time of day before that suddenly were like, hey, Elvis, what's up? And then I was hanging out, you know, with everybody. And suddenly I got a lot of girlfriends and, and uh, I started getting laid. And I thought, you know, sports never got me laid before. I think I'll stick with music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right on, yes. Music is a great way to connect with people or get laid or both. So on the album, right, on Blood Lescapades, the song that you talked about in the review, I Can't Out or Can't Out Falling in Love with You, that is an Elvis Presley song. And and that was the last song that Elvis ever performed in concert on stage before he died because he used to end all his concerts with that song. And all these years since I was an Elvis imitator back in the late 70s, I had never recorded an Elvis song. And Margie Johnson, who manages St. Madness, uh, and she's also my girl, we've, we've been together, gosh, 25 years. Anyway, um, she, she was pushing me at different times, like, you know, you need to record an Elvis song. And so I thought about it, and I thought, the perfect song to do is the last one he ever did on stage. So that's why we did Can't Help Falling in Love With You, only we sped it up and made it more punk rockish. And then the other cover on that album is Folsom Prison Blues, the other one that you talked about. That's a Johnny Cash song. And Johnny Cash and Elvis were both signed to Sun Records around the same time back in the 50s. And even though we're a metal band, we talked about it. We thought, you know, let's let's play some of these old classic songs and make them a little more metal punk. And so that's why we did those two. Yeah, I got I to gotta brush up. I, um, I thought the name Folsom Prison Blues was familiar. Uh, but I got a brush up with my Johnny Cash, and I didn't even know that was an Elvis song, honestly. I'm, I, I know some of Elvis, but I, I got a brush up on his discography. Yeah, and when people get the hard copy CD, when you lift the CD out of the container, underneath it is Johnny Cash as a zombie coming out of the ground, and he's got a ring of fire around him. And on the back of the CD is Elvis as a vampire, because Elvis was addicted to speed for a long time and people always call him a vampire because he usually slept all day and then he was up all night. And so because we're a theatrical band, we made Elvis a vampire and we made Johnny Cash a zombie. I really like that uh Elvis cover on the back of you know him him as a vampire. It just it looked so cool. And yes, yeah, Johnny Cash is a zombie I mean, you know, a tribute to two great musical legends. Yeah. And the guy who did the artwork is amazing. His name is Jeff West, and uh, you can find him on Facebook. And the guy is just an incredible artist. I mean, I I love the art he did for that album. I I do too. I talked about it briefly in my review. The images just uh, provoke many thoughts when you see everything. And that's kind of what we're about in St. Madness. I'm the lyricist, so I, I write all the lyrics for the band. And I'm also a huge fan of Pink Floyd and, and the Beatles. And the reason why I say those two is because the Beatles were kind of like the forefathers of adding samples, you know, outside sounds into their music. And then Pink Floyd took it from there, of course, you know, they're Pink Floyd. And so for me, we try to make our music more 3D. And by doing that, we add in atmospheric sounds or voices or we bury stuff in the music. We bury stuff in the artwork. And, you know, we want the fans to get their money's worth. So when they get one of our CDs, I want them to look through the artwork and look through everything and listen, you know, the best way to listen to St. Madness albums is probably with headphones because um, we just put so much stuff in there, you know. 
And believe it or not, up until Blood Muscapades, we made it so that every one of the ten albums before that are like interconnected. Like they each have songs on them that refer to older albums or they refer to each other or something in the artwork. And so we, we made them all connect. That's really cool how, you know, connect music, you know, with other albums. It's fun how much you can, you know, play and connect with music while still doing your own thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I get bored easy. So we have a philosophy in St. Madness. And that is if we write a song and we like it, and and I don't care if it's reggae, metal, punk rock, or country, or what have you. If we as a band enjoy that song, then we're going to record it and put it on a record. We put a lot of variety on our records because I, I just, like I said, I get bored easy. You know, if I put out an album of 10 or 14 songs that are all kind of, you know, the same heaviness, the same emotion, the same, I just get bored with that. So, you know, we try to make it as interesting as possible. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Music's supposed to be fun. And I think, you know, genre is kind of a loose term that, I mean, a lot of bands are just kind of switching genres, you know, like after the first song that's onto another genre. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm good with all that, you know. I like it when bands experiment and, and they do certain things. Now, I'll say this, though. As a Metallica fan in the 90s, when they switched, uh, when the Black Album came out, I already started to lose interest. And and that doesn't mean that it's good or bad, because obviously they made good decisions for their band because they did nothing but get bigger and bigger and bigger and more successful. So, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I know anything because I don't. But as a fan, the first four albums are to this day the ones that I truly, truly cherish. And the rest of them, I buy them all. I'll buy all of them, but that doesn't mean I love them all. Yeah, those first four albums are so iconic. I mean, the Black Album in itself is a very iconic album. I mean, I, I see what you're talking about. They kind of shifted, you know, their music a little bit. First four albums were like, that's like the definition of metal. Yeah, and, and their Black Album is, I believe, their biggest record. So, obviously, yeah, obviously they did a really good thing there. And and there's music on there that I still, that I enjoy. But it's not like the first four albums. You know, every fan is different. And when you're in a band and you're making different albums, you know, you, you try to please yourself and you try to please your fans. Um, but, but at the end of the day, the only thing you can really do is play the music that moves you and hope the fans will be moved by it too. And you never really know. Exactly. You might be surprised about, you know, what the fans like compared to, as you said before, like your expectations and like what the fans really like. It's up to the fans, like what they gravitate towards. That was part one of my chat with Patrick Flannery, prophet of Saint Madness. And now a very special treat for the listeners of Super Cool Radio. I'm going to feature my favorite song off their latest album, Blood Lust Capades. Here is Day of the Dead. Enjoy.
Once again, that was Day of the Dead, the first song off Bloodlust Capades by Saint Madness. And now, let's get back to my interview with Prophet. We were talking about how Napster really changed the music industry. Please enjoy. Yeah. When I first, in the 90s, when Lars Ulrich was coming out against Napster, you know, at first, and a, and a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, why is that rich asshole worried about Napster and all that? And I was one of them that was kind of going, oh, you know, fuck him. He's a rich guy. He, he, what does he care? Whatever. Looking back on it, he was right. Because look what happened to the music industry because of free file sharing and things like that. I mean, it literally destroyed it. And he was really trying to warn everybody. He was saying, look, you know, I know we're rich and all that. And you think I'm just complaining about money, but this is going to happen to every artist out there, big or small. So if you were making a little bit of money before, now you're going to make nothing. He's trying to warn everybody. He was very right. It was just nobody really saw what was coming now that like yeah, everything was switching digitally and people could get stuff for free and now like you can stream stuff for free. So definitely it had right. changed the music industry a lot. Right, completely. And now it's like, you know, if you think about it, like I mentioned Pink Floyd earlier, right? If Pink Floyd came out right now, they are big on writing concept albums. Nowadays, the listeners don't necessarily care about albums anymore. They, they find a song or two from bands they like and they go download those songs and they don't really, uh, a lot, I, I won't say all, but a lot really don't care about that anymore. And a band like Pink Floyd, the album, the whole album tells a story. It's not just a song or two. The whole thing together is a package. And that's the thing that I'm most sad about seeing go away is the concept albums and, and just the albums themselves. I, I can remember when I was young, if I heard a band like Kiss or something was coming out with a new album, I was so excited to get that damn thing. And, and, you know, the day I picked it up and held it in my hands, it was like, a, you know, Christmas, you know, almost. And I couldn't wait to get the record and read all the liner notes and to hold it in my hand. And back then, you spent money on something and you got something back. Now you spend money on digital files and you download them, you know, on your devices, but you don't really own the album in a way. You know what I'm saying? You're not really getting anything other than something to listen to for your money. Yeah, I I love CDs. Like I have a huge collection of CDs. I still purchase, you know, CDs because, like you said, you can read the yeah. liner notes, you can see the lyrics. It's something physically you can hold because, like all digital stuff, it's just as you said, just something to listen to. There's no substance to it. It's just the music. Right. And so think of this, right? When bands sign a deal with a big label or a small label, they're signing what's called a record deal. Well, how can you sign a record deal if you don't really have records anymore? The records used to be the bread and butter for the bands. Now bands have to survive off of T-shirt sales and, you know, ticket sales and, and whatever. And, you know, so if you're in a, a situation like now where you can't play any concerts, well, you're not going to make no money there. And if you're not promoting all the time to try to sell your merchandise, then you're not making any money there. And so, like I said, it kind of gutted the whole music industry as a whole. And, and that's sad because, you know, in the 80s, you know, a lot of people laughed or tried to put them down. But listen, I lived through the 80s. I was in bands all through the 80s. And I had a great time. And you had different waves of metal bands coming out from all over the world. And labels were putting money into these bands and they were helping to make them more successful. Now you have probably even more bands in the world right now coming out all the time. But the problem is 99.9% .9 of them can only get to a certain level on their own. And that's it. The labels aren't there anymore to sign like they were back in the day. In one year, you hear about, you know, probably 10 different major artists coming out that were new. 
and and they were doing tours and they had a record deal and they have you know now you you might even have bands that are better now but who's who supports them who who's their investor who's going to help that band become financially successful funny you know you talk about you know Napster and how that affected the music industry and people might not have thought it was as big of a deal as probably now because like with 2020, as you said, you know, you get money from merch and you get money from ticket sales. But like I've known bands who didn't play any shows this year. There was no tour, no tickets, no anything. So like right. they didn't make any money off tickets and like right. you can only reach a certain amount of people trying to sell merch. Cause like if you only have a small group of people and you keep pushing merch, you know, you're going to be, you're going to dry up that well. Right. Exactly. And how many bands do you think? probably broke up this year for lack of being busy or doing anything. People lose interest and, and like they were saying, you know, by locking everybody down, suicide rates have gone up and things like that and depression. And, you know, people as human beings we want to be busy doing something, you know, and and uh locking everybody down is a very sad thing. And I just hope that it gets to the point where people can go back to their lives soon. Yeah, this year has definitely taken a huge mental toll on people. As you said, the suicide rate skyrocketed, I think, March and April, and it's still up now, even to the end of 2020 now. And it's just sad. It's, um, you know, human beings can't survive in isolation. I mean, it's, it's, there's proven studies about it, and it's just hard yeah. to you know, go through that right now. Yeah, and life is short. You know, each of us only gets so much time here. And, you know, as long as I'm here, I, I want to be productive, you know, and, I want to keep moving forward. So what I've done this whole year is promote the hell out of St. Madness. You know, I don't have a publicist. So I'm like, well, I'm a publicist now. <laughs> and, and I've just been contacting radio stations and, and magazines and zines and all over the world. And there are stations all over the world that play our music, you know. And But that comes from a lot of hard work and a lot of building relationships and being professional and you know that's the other thing in St. Madness we treat our bands as a profession and as a job and you know we we take it extremely serious even though we have a lot of laughs and we have a lot of fun but at the end of the day you know you as a fan when you come to a show and you spend you're anywhere from 10 to 150 dollars to see a certain band you know, number one, you're putting faith in that band because you're investing money to go see them. And it's important that the bands be as professional as they could be, or at least that's our our philosophy is we want to be a professional, you know, and give the fans their money's worth and understand that some people struggle with money. So if they pay money to come see your band, that might be the only show they go to in six months or a year. And it's important that to care about that and to do the best you can to see that those fans walk away happy. Yeah. Every time, you know, a band plays a show, they have the potential to reach new fans and to build their audience. So like every show is like, you know, a job interview almost it pretty much to put it in different terms of will these, you know, will these fans like our music? You know, we got to put on the best show we can to make sure that they enjoy the show. Right. And and all you can do is the best you can do, you know. I mean, I've gone on stage in 2005, I had cancer, and I played a show after a full week of chemo, and my doctor swore that I would never be able to do it. And I only did like seven songs or something like that because I couldn't do any more. But I did do it, you know. If you talk to anybody in a band, they'll tell you they played shows where they had pneumonia or bad flu or, you know, they broke their foot that day or, or whatever. And the show must go on, you know, as best as possible. And, you know, those are sacrifices that we make to do the thing that we love so much, which is make music and to perform for the fans. Yeah, that's very, it's very impressive that even, you know, after a full week of chemo, they'll, they'll do a show. And to be able to do it, that's, it's very impressive. We were invited to play on the Pima Indian Reservation here. And that was our first show to play there. And I love Native American people. And there was no way that I was going to let them down because I took chemo. You know, I figured at least, even if I was sick as a dog, even if I just got up there and sang one song, they would know that I cared enough 
to show up because they invited us. And I didn't want to let them down. So we, I did make it through seven songs. And that was the one and only time that my eldest son, Joshua, got on stage with us and he played guitar with us for one song. And there's, there's pictures of it online. And it was an amazing moment for me, as sick as I was to be up there next to my son while he was playing guitar to one of our songs. Yeah, that sounds like a very unique experience. And it's something doesn't just happen under like normal normal situations or circumstances right no he was i think he was worried that i was gonna die and um you know it, it was just a beautiful moment and i'm so glad that you know some people took photographs of it and i have the copies of them and you know it was a big deal to our family yeah for sure and especially um able to do that after full chemo you know you know the doctor said you weren't gonna be able to do it and to to do it it was impressive, and it was a great time. For, you know, I'm assuming it was a great time for everyone involved. Yeah, I, I had a wonderful time, even though I was sick. You know, I was so glad that I did it, and that we all did it. You know, and and that's the thing. If you have a love in life or a passion to go after something like that, it takes sacrifice, and it takes dedication, and it takes discipline. And you know, in in rehearsal and stuff, we talk a lot about discipline. You know, because it, it, it takes a real commitment to be in music. And even more now probably than ever, because when you were younger before, if you were in a band, and especially if you were in a city like Los Angeles or something like that, there was a pretty good chance that sooner or later, some record executives or record people were going to find their way into your shows. And maybe something good would happen for your bands. Well, now when bands go on stage, they know pretty much there's probably a 90%, 99% chance that a record person is not going to come to their show. But, you know, the ones that still go after it hardcore is because they truly love what they're doing. They do it out of love. When we get up on stage, it's not to get rich. Because if we were here to get rich, we would have given up, <laughs> you know, 25 or 27 years ago. We do this because we love it. We love heavy metal. We love performing for the fans. We love writing and recording music and knowing that that music is going to be here long after we're dead and gone. You know, it, it's a passion and it's a love. And it, once it gets in your blood, it will never leave. You can retire from music. You can say, I'm putting down my guitar. I'm never going to play again. I promise you somewhere, somehow, that guitar is going to find its way in your hand. And, and even if you're sitting at home just with a piano or a keyboard in your bedroom and writing songs, that's extremely therapeutic. It's good for your soul. Yes, it is. And, you know, someone told me that um, you never really truly retire from music. And that's it's so true. You might not be performing on stage and going out on tours, but music is still a part of you. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's been uh, a huge part of my life since I was in high school. And, and I've never uh, looked back. You know, once I made a commitment that that's what I wanted to do, uh, I stayed with it and worked hard. And, you know, for a long time, I did the, the band jump where, or the band leapfrog, where you're in one band for two years and then another band for a year and then another band for three years and then another band. And by the time we built uh, Saint Madness, which originally was called Crown of Thorns, from 1993 to 1997, we were known as Crown of Thorns, but we found out that there were a number of other Crown of Thorns out there in the world, and the main one was a Christian rock group in New Jersey that actually trademarked the name Crown of Thorns two years before we started using it, so we realized there was no court case we could win there. So the album we had out at the time was called The Spiritual Visions of Saint Madness, so Margie and I got with the attorney and we did a world search to see if anybody owned St. Madness and nobody did. So we trademarked it on the spot. But, you know, it's just been, uh, once we built this band, I decided in my heart, I'm going to stick with this till the end. And, you know, I've had a lot of offers over the years that people say, hey, you want to join my band too, or you do this or do that. And and for a brief time there, in 2011 and 2012, I was singing for an Ozzy Osbourne tribute band called Mad Men's Diary. And there is some uh, videos of that up on YouTube. And I had a great time. And the guys I was in the band with are, are wonderful friends and good people. But my heart is 
St. Madness. And so after a while, I had to go to Steve, the guitar player, and say, Steve, I need to just do what my heart wants to do, and that's St. Madness. I, I, I know lots of musicians that are in, you know, two, three, four, five bands, and that's great for them, but that's not what I want to do. When people see me, I want them to think of St. Madness. And if they think of Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse as well, that's fine because that's made up mostly of people in Satan madness. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do what what your heart wants and what you want to truly invest in because the band it's still it's still an investment, you know, of, you know, time and money to do what you want, and you should be happy or you should be satisfied being. If you want to be in only one band, that's fine. And as you said, I know many musicians who are part of three or four bands, and that's what they're yeah. doing. But if you're yeah, you know, and and if they love it, you know, if they love it, more power to them. You know, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying for me personally, when you think of Gene Simmons, you think of Kiss. Exactly. You know, and so when people think of Prophet, I want them to think of St. Madness. Yeah, you know, you got that, you know, direct correlation right there, especially, I mean, you've been doing it for so long and you've been, you know, killing it for so long that, you know, St. Madness is you and you are St. Madness. Yeah, that's kind of pretty much how it ended up and and uh, now from july of 2000 to november of 2003 um i thought saint madness was over and i became good friends with wiley arnett who's the lead guitarist of the band sacred reich and we together started a new band called the human condition in july of 2000 and i was at that point i thought you know saint madness has been out for seven years um, we had a lot of fun, a lot of good times, you know, and uh, maybe it's time to put it to bed. So I ended up making the first best of St. Madness record, which is called We Make Evil Fun. And while I was in human condition with Wiley, I was sending out these albums, you know, just to try to get final reviews and, and whatever. And I ended up getting a lot of good reviews on that record. And it made me realize that there's still there was still a lot of people out there who enjoyed St. Madness music. And when I was in human condition, it was basically, you know, wear your street clothes and just get up there and perform. I didn't use the name Prophet, I used the name Patrick. If you go to YouTube you can look up the human condition, the Patrick Flannery years. And there's like a two hour video on there about about that. And it was a complete honor to be in a band with Wiley Arnett. You know, he's one of the greatest guitar players I've ever played with and a great human being. And uh, I love the music. By the time I left the band, we had 17 songs. But I thought, I've got to have St. Madness back. That's where I belong. I, I love putting on face paint. I love putting on a theatrical show. And that got in my blood, and nothing's going to take it out now. So, again, I went to Wiley, and I said, Wiley, having me sing in The Human Condition is like trying to have Alice Cooper sing in your band. And I need to just go back to my own world where I feel I belong. And and uh, anyway, it all worked out great. We're all still uh, good friends. And after I left, he had another singer briefly, but then he left, and then they got AK from Flotsam and Jetsam. And so AK started singing for the human condition. And then uh, Flotsam and Sacred each put out new records now, and they sign new record deals. So the human condition is kind of on hold now because their two respective bands are, are, are busy. But, you know, it was a real honor for me to be in that band. But, but as great as playing with Wiley Arnett was, and it was, my heart bled for St. Madness. And I had to go back where I knew I belonged. Exactly. Finding what you truly want to do. It sounds like you had a great time, you know, hanging out with the human condition, but still your heart knew, like, I got to be part of St. Madness. And I like, you know, you had a nice, you know, comparison about having, like, Alice Cooper in your band. I think I can just picture that because you know, I've seen, you know, you with the face paint. I mean, that truly is is, is you. I mean, I, I love, you know, the face paint and I saw your cover on Metal Mag. And it, like, that is you. Yeah, that's that's what I love being, and and Prophet is just an extent of my personality. It's it's a separate character, but it's really just a part of Patrick. You know, it's a, a different part of me that comes out when we paint up and and we do St. Madness music, and I just love it, man. I can't I can't imagine not being able to do that. Exactly, Prophet. 
I want to thank you so much for hanging out with me. Very in-depth, extended interview with Prophet of St. Madness, our featured band of the week. And I got one more thing before we go. What can we expect from St. Madness for 2021? Because it's coming up very fast. It is already December. So the first thing is I want to release the Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse record that's called Last Days in Paradise. And that should be out. I'm figuring around March. And at the same time, we're going to keep writing songs for St. Madness. And we'll just have to see, you know, if if no shows are allowed to be played, then we'll write songs for St. Madness and probably start recording them, you know. Um, but no matter what, we're going to stay busy and we keep doing what we do. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I I really enjoyed Blood Luscapades. I highly recommend everyone check that out. And please support this great band, St. Madness. And check out my review if you're, if you're interested. Check out what I got to say and watch me completely miss that there's two covers on there. But it's also very fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Thank you for that review and, and making this band of the week, man. That, that's awesome, you know. And it takes all of us together. It takes fans and artists and musicians and radio hosts and people in the media, people at magazines. It takes everybody together to build a scene and to build a community. So we all need each other. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, what I've done, I've, you know, it's a small community, but it's still, you know, community of people who love music. And that's what I have with, you know, Super Cool Radio. And it's just fun talking. You know, everyone has a story. And it's just fun chatting with everybody about, you know, their music, their life, and what inspires them to do what they do that, you know, we all love. We're on iTunes, and if they're still out there. <laughs> We're on Reverb Nation. Most of our stuff is Bandcamp. But but we're all over the place. I mean, it shouldn't be too hard to find us if, if people out there have interest in finding out about St. Madness or just checking out a few songs or videos. They're all over YouTube. Tons of stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, I highly encourage everyone, please check out this killer metal band out of Tempe, Arizona, St. Madness. I'm chatting with Prophet, lead vocalist, writer of St. Madness. And I just want to thank you, brother, for hanging out with me. Very fun time just chatting about music and life with you. It's my pleasure, and I'd like to also say, long live the fans of metal music. Without the fans, we're nothing. Couldn't put it any better, and just like with everything, if you don't have fans, you can't be able to build and do what you want to do. So without fans, you, as you said, don't have anything. That's right. The, the fans are what have allowed me to live a really interesting life, and I've had a lot of great times. Exactly, and as for me as well. And thank you so much, Prophet of St. Madness. And, of course, I am Matthew Thomas from Super Cool Radio. Thank you.